0: Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is the podcast where we discuss construction safety, typically trench excavation and confined space safety, but also other topics that deal with general job site safety as well. I am Rick Plosinski, customer training specialist, and with me is one of my colleagues in the training department, Eric Partenheimer. Eric, thank you for being here.
1: Absolutely. Glad to be here. Appreciate it.
0: So our conversation will hopefully be informative and educational so we can help you avoid injuries and fatalities while on the job site and hopefully be just a little bit entertaining. Today, our conversation is going to focus on the differences in the OSHA general industry confined space standard and the confined space in construction standard. There are many similarities in these two, but there are also many differences. And we're here to break these down to possibly eliminate any confusion around when and how these individual standards need to be followed. So, Eric, what facilitated the need for a new confined space in construction standard in 2015?
1: So, industry has been actually asking for a confined space standard in construction. The standard that we had prior to this, 1910-146, basically dealt with more general industry uh, oriented. And the construction uh, industry, we kind of took pieces. We would take things out and kind of make them work for us. And some of them were literally a round hole and a square peg trying to put it in. It just wasn't working out for us. So after years and years of possibly something coming out, possibly something coming out, they finally got together and they finally ended up coming out with the confined spaces in construction standard and which has led into some confusion. And, and again, we've done a lot of you know seminars and things on this and there's still a lot of people that may be somewhat confused which standard do I follow? That's one of the big questions that comes up. And really something to ask yourself is what kind of work am I doing? Is, is the permit space I'm going to be doing? Is it maintenance or is it construction? And when you look at, at that, you know, what is maintenance versus what is construction? Construction works not limited to new construction, but it could be repair of existing facilities, replacement of structures and their components. An example that OSHA actually gives on this is, is replacing a pole. If I were to replace a pole, pole for pole, no modifications, no changes, that's maintenance. If I slap a coat of paint on that pole or it's an updated, upgraded model, that is now construction. So what they've, what they've come out with and what OSHA has said basically is, if you're doing following the construction standard, if your work maybe does a little bit of both, but if you're following the construction standard, it covers you for the general industry one. If you've only had the general industry class, it does not cover you for the construction side of things. So like you mentioned at the beginning, there are, they, they fairly parallel each other, but there may be a few changes in there.
0: And that was going to lead to my next question. Are these two standards really that vastly different?
1: Yeah, I don't know vastly different is is the right thing. What this standard has done is maybe a, a few of the deficiencies in the old standard, they've come out and clarified things. The term competent person was used, but it was never really defined. Some of the definitions now are a little bit more defined. We, we know exactly what they're talking about. Before, it was kind of, I think, taken for granted. You know, that where it all starts from, the definition of a confined space has not changed. It, you know, SAD, if that helps you, right? Size, access, duration, large enough to get into, but they have streamlined that portion. Before, it said, if you break the imaginary plane, you are considered to have entered the space, This standard has that in there also, but it also says whether or not the act was intentional or you were even going to work in there. So what they're saying now is there is no reason why you should break the plane if you've not done any pre-checking yet. So my hand resting on a rim slips in, they don't care. It's it's you've entered the space. You break the plane, you've entered the space. And then is it limited or restricted to get in and out? And then is it designed for me to be in there long periods? Just like before, if all three are true, it's a confined space. And, you know, industry best practices would tell you to treat it as permit required until you can prove otherwise.
0: One of the things that I see that is different between the general industry and the confined space standard is the fact that you can actually suspend a permit in the construction standard versus the industry standard. In the industry standard, you either issue a permit or you canceled the permit. In the construction standard, what I think they realized is that there could be temporary changes in that space that could be eliminated, and then you could have subsequent entry back into that space under that same permit. Is that fair to say?
1: That's very fair to say, and it's one that I think people really need to keep an eye on. If you're doing permitted entries, it seems people have kind of fallen back on, let's just blanket the permit for eight hours. So I'm going to put good for up to eight hours there. That's just being able to suspend the permit was not there. That wasn't something that we were able to use. Now, with the ability to suspend a permit, my thought is a compliance officer is going to be looking at your timeline. You know, if, I've, if I'm if i budgeting three hours for the job, maybe I put three and a half. Everything doesn't go completely according to plan, so I've got a little bit of wiggle room. But to put blanket for eight hours, I, that you're not going by the intent of the standard. And the standard says that permit can't last longer than what the job is going to take. And I think being able to spend, that's definitely a newer one on there. And, and it lends to our industry, you know, taking this standard. If the old standard, it was a lot more rigid. This standard now makes it a little bit more, I think, you know, industry or production friendly. If, if it's a three person entry, I've got an attendant and a supervisor and an entrant. As the supervisor, I can also be the attendant or the entrant if I've been trained on both. So it can be two people physically, but three titles. Now, if I'm supervising something else that's going on and they need me to your point, I can pull my person out. I can suspend my permit. Deal with that. It's not changed the configuration or the use of space I'm going into. I come back, we'll recheck it, and then I can start my time back up so I don't lose that. So that's why I think the compliance officers may start looking at that with people blanketing things for eight hours. That's one of the changes on here. And then another one is new and updated definitions is another big one. And, you know, we take a lot of these things for granted, a barrier you know okay great well it's a physical obstruction and how many times do you see sites that have cones around them that's it's not obstructing anything you've got to have delineators warning tape maybe the the pvc pipe with the donuts on the end i can put around the the taller cones and that that now is a barrier but that's defined as a physical obstruction not just you know somebody's version of that but there is a a pretty long list some of them again you know competent person Early warning system is another one. That one's been completely defined. It's a newer portion of our standard. If I have or a potential for an engulfment coming from upstream, I have to supply either somebody or something, a sensor, with enough time to allow the entrant to get out of that that space. That's new to the standard. People doing wet work need to understand that one, that that's one of the big differences.
0: And that's one of those two. When you talk about the early warning system, it is only required, technically required for non-isolated engulfment hazards. If you've already isolated that hazard, right, you've eliminated that hazard and you no longer have that issue coming in, then an early warning system is not technically required. It's only that required is- when you don't have that, you know, when you have the potential for that hazard.
1: One of the other ones definitions on here, too, and a lot of these, you know, when we look at entry rescue and hazard and host employer, those are things that we can we'll find in the old standard. But the entry employer is one, the people who allow their people to go into a permit required confined space. And there's a little nugget that's in there under the notes. And people would say, OK, well, you know, yeah, we're going to be doing an entry or or we don't do permitted entries. That's great. But the standard says you can't avoid that portion of it by letting your people know, uh, in fact, OSHA will take, you know, and I don't know as a yes, meaning, you know, I, I can't, I have to make a decision one way or the other. And if the answer is no, everybody needs to understand that. And the little nugget is if they're working within proximity of the space. So just because that space has nothing to do with me and what I'm doing in my activities, the fact that it's nearby, if I were to get pulled aside and they said, Hey, are you guys going in that? And I said, I don't know. That means yes. And then the questions are going to start coming. So there's there's some little nuggets that are in some of these that that you know the, the definition itself is real. It's, it's a little more clearly defined, but then there's these little add-on pieces.
0: What other major differences do you see in between the construction standard versus the general industry standard?
1: probably one of the biggest ones when it comes to permit required is is the requirement for an entry rescue team before you know we've had the three types of entries the non permit entry it, it meets you know it's been defined a little bit more it's a confined space meets the definition of a confined space but doesn't meet the requirements for a permit required as defined in the, in this uh in the subject or in the standard here You've got non-permit. You've got alternate entry where there's no physical hazards. The only hazard that can be in there would be a potential or an actual atmospheric one. And it can be controlled by continuous forced air ventilation and monitoring. The term safe for entry comes in there. And I think that's one that that skips by people. And that has actually been defined as being half of your values. Not your O2, but half of your LELs and half of, in most monitors, CO, carbon monoxide, or H2S, hydrogen sulfide. And I think that that's when people think, once I get below the set point, I'm good. In actuality, safe for entry means half of that. But on the permit required, there is a, a stipulation on there now that we have to pre-identify an entry rescue team, regardless of how I'm getting in, whether it be a ladder because of configuration or entanglement issues, uh, or a we are using a non-entry rescue method. That's fine. I can have my attendant, could be my rescue service by pulling somebody out remotely. But I still have to pre-identify an entry rescue team and the criteria that goes along with that? Can they get to me in a timely manner? Can they do what we need them to do? All the things that go along with that. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Now, alternate and non-permit, there's not that requirement. It's probably a good idea to make that call to find out where they're coming from, but it's, it's not in the standard. It's not a requirement of the standard. So I think that that's a big one. And it's one that when it is brought up, it opens up some eyes and a lot of people will go, well, there's nobody around me. Well, it doesn't mean that, okay, that's your answer. I don't have to do it because there's nobody around me. You still have to figure out a way. And I think that that's going to be a challenge probably coming up in the near future until hopefully we see maybe some more private entities that are entering into the entry rescue uh, program. But the people now that are calling their spaces, we're going to blanket everything as permit. I would absolutely caution you and say maybe change that permit heading to a, a a checklist and go through and answer the questions. If it comes up that, yes, this is a permitted entry, then here's what we need to do. And you can have it circled out what type it is, but I would use that as maybe your checklist.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who think that the alternate entry procedures is new in the construction standard. That's not the case. The, the alternate entry procedures can be found in the old general industry standard.
1: Yeah, true. It it it's in there and and like you said <laughs> When we, you know, when we, when we educate people and we talk to people about this and I bring these terms up and they'll ask, is that new? And absolutely it's not. And, and really what it is, is more clearly defined. And I think in our world, again, I think it's, it's, it's there to help things out where I have the host or the owner of the property who may or may not know anything about confined spaces. The general who comes on, who's in charge of, you know, has responsibility for construction at the site is called the controlling contractor. And then the entry employer of the people that are going to be going in from that particular employer. It's just a chain to pass on information. You know, post-entry, did the space change? Brand new manhole. It was non-permit. Now it's permit because I've tapped into a line. I've got a potential engulfment in there, letting the general know. So the next sub or his people that go in, they have that information. So it's, it's really, it, it starts with what information, you know, do we have already passing that on to the entry employer? And then what's gleaned after the entry, post entry, and, and making sure everybody has the information to share. And I think that's why it's, it seems new to people because that was never being done. But now with this, there's a little bit more of an emphasis. On it.
0: Yeah, the flow of communication has to start from the top down and then before entry and then the bottom up after entry. And that process needs to continue. And that's why it's basically this is not just a linear process, this is a circular process. This goes from top down, bottom up, and it continues to build. And the next time you go onto a job site, guess what? then that information has to be disseminated again because nobody in the world can say I didn't know in this process because it's stating right there very clearly in the standard that if you did not automatically receive that information, you have to go and get it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not, well, they didn't come to me with that. It's you have as much responsibility to get the information as they do to share it with you. Absolutely right. Um, One other one too, that, that comes to mind is training. And we talk about training, we talk about training, and, and you know, people understand that the need for training in there. In this standard, it is clearly spelled out. Uh, training's got to be provided to anybody affected by this in a language of vocabulary that they can understand. So that's a big paragraph. That's a big sentence because how many times do, you know, the most next available class and people get put in there, and for whatever reason, whatever their their first language is, English may not be it. And if they're walking out of there either more confused or less you know, educated, it was for nothing. It was just a waste of time. Because, again, compliance officers, they don't go just to somebody who meets them at the gate. They may pull people aside and do an interview with them. And if all the answers are I don't know, our training was really not <laughs> adequate. Yeah. And, again, it's got to be requirements, no cost to the employee before they're first assigned a duty, if there's a change in that duty. And then if there's hazards changed and hazards could be equipped. Changes. Understanding that training on all aspects, everything that needs to be done. The other portion of this is, and it's clearly written, it needs to be documented. So whether I spend 15 minutes and talk to you about a blower and the capability and 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 how many turns and things like that, that needs to get documented. Gas monitors, retrieval systems, uh again, ventilation. You know, uh, pipe plugs. Anything that can conceivably being used in an entry needs to be documented. In training. What's
0: interesting about the training portion is that when we talk about training and we talk about the fact that the confined spaces and construction training satisfies the training requirement for general industry, but not the other way around, people seem to think that the construction standard is more stringent. It's more strict than the general industry standard. Would that be fair to say? You know, I don't know
1: if I would consider it to be more strict. I think it's it's clearly defined uh, as before it was not. And I, I think that that maybe people are looking at, well, this one's more strict. It's really not. If you look at both standards, they are Really close to parallel. There's, I think, five key differences in the ones we've been talking about and definitions being one of them. So when things are defined clearer for people to understand, they may not have heard this before. And, well, I didn't know that. Is that new? No, it's not. But it's just been a little bit more defined. So I think people may look at it in that regard that, you know, it is more strict. You know, one of the other areas that they they discuss in here is requiring continuous atmospheric monitoring and ventilation whenever possible. And the standard, and this is one where we really try, you know, try to get a point across to people is it says it allows you the the periodic checking or continuous. In industry practice, we all have four gas monitors for the most part. There is a small segment of, of different industries that use single gas monitors. But with the four gas monitor, we can monitor continuously and then do periodic checks figure out a time frame that it needs to be done and we'll write that down but again some people think they just sniff it and that's it they're done and the monitor lays off to the side and they start going about their business you really should have it in there for the simple the simplest reason is somebody's in a small space working strenuously using up oxygen they may start to feel the effects of that O2 level dropping. If the monitor's in there, whether it be non-permit or not, it it's still it's, it's an indicator. It's something to let you know. If you've got it there, you've used it, why not just leave it on and leave it in there?
0: I got a question the other day mm-hmm. in a class that I was conducting, and it had to do with the responsibilities of a multi-employer situation. And does the construction standard clarify as far as who can issue the permit can more than one employer work under one permit can one more than one employer work under a specific permit required confined space program do you know if the construction standard actually covers that scenario
1: it doesn't specifically address that however it does say that you have to you have to talk with the controlling contractor and decide whose program we're utilizing So if I come in as a sub, I'm, I'm coming in, Rick's, Rick's, you're the, the general on the job. You hire me as a sub. I come in, you and I should have a, I need to have a conversation. Whose program am I utilizing? Am I using yours? You may say, I don't want nothing to do with that. Use your own. You may say, let's look at both and whichever one's more stringent, or you may say, yeah, you're using mine. That's, that's the end of it. And that's the program I'm using. Obviously I need to have access to that program and be able to know what I need to do. And and, and clearly, I, you know, look through it and be knowledgeable about it because I'm going to be responsible for it, filling out the permit and doing all that when it comes to, you know, maybe two companies going in and, and going under the same permit. I have never seen anything that that says yes or no. I would personally tell you I would have your own permit. You're responsible for your people. By blanketing it, using somebody else's, it may not be as stringent as ours, and even if it is, I I still would want my own permit. So I, I would say erring on the side of caution, you and I, Rick, are both going into the doing the same entry, your company and mine. We're doing two different things of work, and that's the other thing, is what is the work involved? If it's two completely different things, my tools may be different than yours. So I think it's better off to you have your permit, I'll have my permit.
0: And not to mention that prohibited conditions might be different. Acceptable entry conditions might be different. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, then, yeah, it does make sense to have a separate permit for each one of those entities. Would you think that that would then facilitate the requirement to have a attendant for each individual for each permit.
1: So, again, you know, depending upon the size of the entry port, can I get two units up there? And if I can, I can't. Odds are you're now you were looking at entanglement issues on that. So my guess is you're going to be writing on your permit why you're not hooked up. We're not going to be hooked up. We're going to be going down there. As far as one or two attendants, um, I personally would probably want my own person up there along with theirs uh, because listing out on them, again, they're not one of my employees. I don't know what their level of training is. I don't know how in-depth that training was. So I would want to put my people that I'm comfortable with that I know what their level of training is. So, again, in that regard, it may seem redundant to some people. We're going to have two attendants because you've got two entities. And this is also going to fall under when we talk about controlling contractor responsibilities, coordinating entry. So you and I are going in, we're going to have to work in concert with the general, with the controlling contractor on, you know, whose permits, we're using my program, my permit, they're using their program, their permit, we're going to have two attendants on there, making sure we both know what each other's doing at any given time. Because again, you're, you know, what you're doing is your work going to potentially harm me, is my work potentially going to harm your guys, we want to make sure that everybody knows, understands what's going on. So It it may seem redundant on that, but I think if you look at it to me anyway, best practice would say, yeah, I would I would want my people in place because I'm comfortable with what their level of education is.
0: Yeah, if I am creating hazards for somebody else that they are not being protected from, that's going to be an issue. And that's where that coordination comes into play, because truly, if you have those situations taking place that really could become a very serious issue. And and that does need to be addressed before the work starts. And that's the thing about it. You have to have that conversation beforehand to understand, okay, which entity is going to be working in the particular space? And at what point are we going to get maybe the other entity out? Because what is going to be performed in that space is going to be hazardous for somebody else. We need to get you out while that operation is taking place. Once that operation is done and they've come out and they've talked to the controlling contractor about the hazards that they confronted or perhaps even created for that entity going back in, then you can go ahead and let that other entity into that space.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just, and it really, it lends itself to the standard. Again, with construction, we tend to have, you know, with general industry, my thought is I'm thinking of a fixed facility. It's our people. If there is a sub coming in, that's all talked about. With the construction site going on, there's so many moving parts to a construction site, not only other companies that are working, but pedestrians and traffic and all the other things that go along with it. So it, it really is having that communication, just like you're saying, that communication chain between the host, the controlling, and the entry and then the entry employers if there's if there's plural if there's multiples of those but making sure the conversations had so we make sure we eliminate anything that could potentially hurt us and everybody gets to go home at the end of the day which is what this is all about right so it it's it's i think when we look at it like you said i think that was a good point to bring up that people think it's more strict i don't really think it's more strict i just think it's more defined i think it's just it it's telling us this is what you need to do based off of the work that we're doing
0: Eric, thank you very much for your expertise in this field. We greatly appreciate that. This has been Behind the Standards with United Rentals. If you have any questions about this topic or have any suggestions about other topics that you want to be discussed, feel free to send us an email to urtspodcast at ur.com. For additional content and training information, go to www.trenchsafetyevents.com On behalf of Eric and myself, thanks for listening. Have a great day and stay safe.